Welcome to the Turkey Hunter Podcast with me, your host, Andy Galliano. In this podcast, I share with turkey hunters just like you how to have more turkeys on your hunting property and how to have more successful turkey hunts. I teach you how to do this with tips and interviews with turkey hunting pros, wildlife management tips, and entertaining turkey hunting stories. Tune in weekly as I share proven and simple strategies to help you have more success this turkey season. Make sure to head over to www.iamturkeyhunting.com to subscribe to receive free turkey hunting tips, tactics, strategies, and product reviews. Also, please visit and like my Facebook fan page. Go to Facebook and search I Am Turkey Hunting. And also feel free to post your turkey hunting photos from this past season and let us know where and when you killed your bird. For all of you Twitter users out there, please follow me on Twitter where my handle is at turkeyhitman, and I will be sure to follow you back. And now, for this week's show. Hello and welcome back to this week's episode of the Turkey Hunter Podcast. You are listening to episode number 211, the Box Call Magic Seminar from the NWTF Convention with Will Primos, and I am your host, and the guy who is going to miss the opening day of gun deer season. And I'll tell you why in just a second. But right now, we are 122 days, 13 hours, 18 minutes, and 27 seconds away from opening day of spring turkey season in Alabama. So I'm going to miss opening day of gun deer season this year because our beloved Turkey Hunter Podcast intern, former Turkey Hunter Podcast intern, Cameron, is getting married this weekend. So I'll be at his wedding instead of dressed in camouflage, sitting in a tree, hoping that Bambi would wander by. It's all good, though. We have a holiday week coming up next week, and I am keeping my fingers crossed that my world gets back to normal. Because it has been far from normal the past, I would say, three weeks. And this week has been a bear of a week. So with that said, I'm going to tell you that I'm going to be very brief with my intro and very brief with my outro this week. And besides, you don't want to hear from me anyway. You would much rather hear Will Primos talk about box calls. And that's what I have for you today. So I am playing the Box Call Magic Seminar from the 2018 NWTF convention that Will Primos put on. And, well, there's some good information in here. And I think that most of you guys listening will learn a little something something. So let's jump into it. Here's Will Primos, and I will see you guys on the other side. And Anthony figured this out years ago, that if he could figure, find, observe, feel the best woods, the best grains of wood, then he could start out with a computer-controlled equipment, program it, mill this stone, so we would have a perfect starting point to hand-tune box calls and box call and any other type of call that we make out of wood. We have several pieces of equipment 
and it's pretty cool to see them work. We had a video for you, but the DVD's not here. We wanted to show you some of the machines working. Uh, but I'm going to introduce you to Anthony Foster, who's in charge of our CNC department, and let him talk to you a little bit about what he does. Well, uh, CNC mainly what we do. Anybody can hear us? Everybody hears okay? Barely. Very probably no we'll speak up. Um, part of what our objective was originally, we started out making box calls on pin routers and my granddad, we made when I was a kid, made them on auger bits and we drill out the insides of them. And, uh, obviously, as more turkey hunters come along, turkeys got harder to hunt, so the boxes had to get a little bit better. And we worked with things to try to improve that over the years. And I would definitely say in my beginning days, I threw away a lot of box calls that were horrible sounding. Uh, my background in history was in CNC and machining and understanding that, so I wanted to kind of combine the two together so we started taking a process in CNC and utilizing it to do a precision amount of the work on the box to get just right. You still can't make it 100% so all our box calls are still hand cued. Every single box you buy from Primo's has been touched by somebody and usually you'll see right under here on the label there'll be a little stamp under the bottom. That's the tuner that tuned it. And that guy's responsible for getting the quality of the sound right. So but the CNC the things that it does do is maintain a perfect arch uh, for the rollover day. Uh, and it's really good at that. And then the other things it does really well is is making sure the depth is right in the bottom. We used to have to take a pin router and drop in there and kind of machine around, or we took our all auger bits and then work around. Those things were just inconsistent. They break them clean on the sides, and you have a lot of variation. And then of course the box moving and shaping. So as all of you know, the tuning side here, if you call them, is the most important thing. And then. Finding the right woods, the right grains, and those type of things is, is the biggest portion of what we do as CNC-wise. So how many of you are familiar with the Gibson box call that was patented in 1897? Raise your hand. All right, so tonight, I'm giving you an original away. We're going in three owners of this call. The man, the turkey hunter who originally owned it, Mr. Lotta, L-A-T-T-A, his daughter that he left it to, and then me. She gave it to me. We got to know each other, and one day she walked in and presented this call to me, and I was like, oh my gosh. So I've had it in the showroom at Primo's all these years. And I decided, what am I going to do with this thing? Don't even get to see it, people that come to Primo's. So they're going, we're going to give that away tonight to the NWTF Museum in Edgefield. And in conjunction with this promotion, Anthony and I got to studying the box car. But this is our heritage as turkey hunters. This is way back. Think about it. Guys, turkey were gobbling, they were trying to hunt them. Now, the wing bone, how many of you are familiar with the wing bone? Trumpet, gobble. I think that's the first call that was ever created to call a turkey. And I got a theory. There was an Indian. He was out on the plains. He had him a horse, whatever. He ran down a turkey, and the eagle caught a turkey. He ran the eagle off, whatever. He got him a turkey cooked him on the fire, roasted him, and he's chewing on the wing. And he chews on a piece of the wing, sucks the marrow out of the bone, and accidentally goes, and it yelped. <laughs> they go, oh my God, they got me a dirty call here. And then they figured out to take another wing bone, a little bit bigger, and then the trumpet part of the wing, and put all three together, seal them up with mud, whatever, so that you wouldn't lose any suction and sound. And that, I believe that was the first turkey call. I think that's how it came into existence. Well, then think about these guys trying to hunt turkeys, late 1800s. And this guy Gibson comes up 
with the Gibson box call. This is an actual reproduction of the Gibson box call. Now, they had it right, right? And the The sideboards are perfectly straight. He evidently took a paddle bit, I mean, I came with a paddle bit, wood paddle bit, just drilled it out, then took a knife and trimmed out the little circle parts that were left. But he had the lid right, it was curved. That's where the note comes from, along with the sides. And he had a screw, Hampty researched this screw and found it of all places, made in England, only place that makes it. So this call is, a, it's not, it's not near the call we make today. Turkey call makers all these years have experimented with depth, size, how thick the sides are, the different types of wood, the angles of the side, and we're going to talk to you about what developed into what we call the tall timber call, tall timber Gabriel call. We'll tell you about that in a minute. But anyway, this call is difficult to use. And, and so back in the Back in the 60s, I'm starting to learn about turkey hunt and so forth, and guys would tell me, hey, you have free time, shut up. Don't say nothing else. See, he might not, he might be six hours before he shows up, but he will come. I figured out how come they said yep three times and shut up. Because if you can get three good yelps out of this thing, you better shut up. So they figured out later to put a spring the screw, which helped balance the lid and float the lid like it should be. So, so Anthony making these things, he's done a fantastic job. Um, now, I want Anthony to gobble them. This is what's incredible. And it's not bad. You're, you're walking along and all of a sudden you hear that. <laughs> so pretty impressive to have a call that was first made in 1897 sound like that. So over the years, by the way, so, so we made 1,641 of these. There's 1,641 banquets in WTF banquets in the United States. So this year, at every banquet, one of these is going to be auctioned off. And tonight, after I give that one away, the, the original, number one is going to be auctioned off. And I know every one of y'all is going to start the bid at $10,000. Am I right? I don't see any hands. Alright, so, boxcall making goes on, everybody's experimenting. Well, Anthony selects what we call billets, the long billets of wood that he is, that has asked for from the wood supplier to be a certain grain. And then he examines them. And that's what he starts with. And I'll let you explain the angles and, and what goes into this. This is, this is the tall timber Gabriel. Tall timber Gabriel. Gabriel is an angel. Angel singing on high is what Charles Whittington from Greenwood, Mississippi, he's gotten his reward, is what he what he called a turkey. When he said I killed the, he didn't say I killed a guy this morning, he said I killed a Gabriel this morning. And they sing from on high. So we call this box the Tall Timber Gabriel. And it has all the features that all of us, especially Anthony, have learned and built into a call. Anthony walks around the factory every day with a slate collar or a box collar in his hand every day. He is, uh, you know, the one time a guy was on TV and a uh, lady walked up to him and said, man, he was incredible on the basketball court. He was just incredible. 
You can dribble with your right hand, you can dribble with your left hand. And he goes, yeah, I'm having kidneys. So, <laughs> Anthony, amphibious, I'm telling you. So, from the Gibson box, obviously, we, you know, things come along like the Lynch box that most of y'all are familiar with, stuff like that. Great call. And they started figuring out angles and changing it. And one of the things that the angle does for you by having an angle is it won't call backwards. Uh, on your older boxes. Angle on your sideboard. Right, on your older boxes like this one, and we worked on these. You could almost get notes out of them. We had to actually spend a lot of time slipping them back to keep them in the bottom because we had built up a habit of dragging a box. When I first made this, I dragged back, you'd call one note, and I'd call another note. It was really confusing, so we fought hard with these to try to make them work right when we were designing those to replace the replicas. But the, the key to it is getting the angles right on the arch. And then and the other thing we've done for so long, the walls have been really, really thin wall. Can y'all see that angle? It's actually like that. It's roughly about an eight degree angle we put on them. And, and then this is angled at the bottom and there's more meat to it. And that's where you hold on to it because that's not the part that reverberates and makes sound. So you can hold it down here. And then I'll let you go over and come through. So as we develop it, for those of you who've seen our first series, we've come out with the Heart Record series. Um, and that was the first real launch of this style of box call. And uh, we'll kind of get to where it progressed over the years. Y'all, we've got some heartbreakers at the booth. We found some in the warehouse. And the older they get, I don't know how old these guys are. They're three, four, five, six years old. The older they get, the better they are. Uh, and you can buy them on eBay for 80, 100 bucks. They got them at the booth for 50 bucks. They're crazy. As I was building these originally, we, we did them in mahogany. And that was common lynch boxes with mahogany. And we saw a lot of it. And one of the things I dealt with problems in mahogany is real soft wood. And it also has a lot of grainage in it. It runs one way and another grain goes. It's called ribbon in it. It reverses. But when that sound hits that ribbon, it don't work right. It, it, it causes a lot of problems. So we have a tune of nightmares out of mahogany. So I started researching woods, and I found a wood called sapili, which is a kind of a derivative considered a mahogany. And we found it in a place in Nigeria. I work with a, a guy that's a friend of mine, a pilot that flies over there, and he was introduced to import lumber. And I said, look, send me one tree, and let me test it. And I said, we'll see how it goes. And I get a late call from later, we cut your tree, you got permission to cut an area we never cut before here, we cut the tree, it's going to be on the container, headed over there, he said, I'll let you know when it's all loaded up, and I get a call from the dock in, in Louisiana that says, hey look, your three containers are coming in. Wow. Three containers, I said, I want one tree, I call the scout and ask him, and I said, look, I said, one tree. He said, yeah, it's three containers loaded, it's on the way. I said, how big is your tree? He's got a picture of this Nigerian in his tree, and his diameter cut down, it's probably four foot above his head. So if you bought an original heartbreaker, the first probably 2,000 of those box calls or better was all made from one tree, one select tree. And we're still using that same wood today in the series as we developed the tall timber. And one of the things that we'll, we'll actually, I've done it originally on a box, I put a thumb hole in it, and you cut, you lay your thumb in there. And we've got the idea about doing another one in another location. I usually put them in the back, and then we can change the tone by cutting back here or cutting up here to get higher. But so we started, as we went on the hardware, we started designing the cut grooves back here on the machine. And that's one of the advantages of CNC. And I will tell you, I, anybody that makes a fully manufactured box call on CNC don't put their hands on it, it's probably not a great call. I hate to say that. But you still have to have humans tune it. Because you're dealing with grain, knots, wood, variation. You can't always get it exactly right. We focus on an up and down grain with a cross chain to call back into on these boxes because this grain is this way. I want to call back to the grain. And then on our paddles, we try to keep straight up and down the grain. So 
if you take water off the machine, some are going to be a little odd in here and there, and you're going to have to shave off. And we have a we develop equipment to go in here and cut this arch and maintain that arch at the same time. Uh, I think, you know, I, I did boxes for other people over the years, like Neil Fossil and stuff, when I first got in business and worked on some of these. And when we first started doing the arches, we realized that they could take a lot more abuse. How many of you own lynch boxes? You sat down in a tree and broke your box. So we wanted these things to be bulletproof. But that was the second thing. And then we finally get a note and a sound with these things on the yelp. Sound, and then we realized the cut was there. So really, we realized we had something really good when we developed that margin too. Uh, now I know most of you here turkey hunting, but somebody may be new at it, trying to learn something. Every turkey yelp is a high and a low slurred together. So the high comes from out here, and then put it together. Most of you know there's a key option. Yeah. And there was a guy at the booth this morning. He said, I'm going to try one of box guys. So he got it, and he's holding on to it. And he's pressing his hands on the sideboard. I watched him. It didn't sound real good. I said, don't, don't touch the sideboard. This is made so you don't have to. So if you touch the sideboard, you're going to dull the sound. Now, he was going like this. And you might fool a turkey. But because of the angle of the sideboard, it makes no sound going this way. So your rhythm is not destroyed. And you can mimic what a turkey does. Now, these cutouts, what's so important about them is that your thumb is like a string. So you're holding your thumb on top of the lid and slightly against the lid. Y'all see that? You should be able to flip your call over and not fall. It should stay yeah. like that. See that? A lot of people try to do it and you just put your thumb up and you flip it over the paddle falls. If it does, now, it's correct. I'm going to step back here and I'm going to do it all the way coming back so everybody can see it. So when I got it like that, I'm going to take my, my right hand and I'm going to strike it across from my thumb. And try to watch my thumb. My thumb is like a spring. The lid went right back. So. And I can push it further to get different sounds and make it really have a live, a light to it. One of the advantages of holding the thumb and locking it is, is it don't bounce back when you get away from it. So you, call it you don't want it to bounce out here and you try to call it on sticks. So while he's holding the pressure over these columns, stay in there. And keep in mind, if, if you're in a, in a, on a hunt, you're up and you're calling like this. You hear the same thing. Anthony's using a call called a wet box. It will not, it will, it'll call when it's wet. It won't quit. And he doesn't have a groove cut in it. He's getting his thumb over the edge. It's harder to do, and it takes more coordination to learn to do that. I'm not as good as Anthony, so I like my thumb grooves. Now, the back, the back thumb hole, I want you to hear this. It's a different pitch. And sometimes the turkey's out there and you've been talking to them, they think they see something, they're real curious and it's... You start doing that back to them and they call them they, they, those other hops. What he's doing with those killer sounds is just these 
both ways. Remember, tap straight across from wherever your thumb is. Uh, where he's doing those mode clocks and those little fillers sounds like that. I, I'm, especially if I'm working very long, I'll, I'm going to use a lot of different variables. I, I move my hands a lot. And a lot of this, I'm just trying to make two pins competing against each other uh, when I do the sound. But letting your thumb kind of bounce and contain it's the most important part. Every time I show somebody I do this, they want to put their thumb there and they hit and it bounces out like that. And then the next dose of back slip up. And, and of course, most of you know when you're cutting, you don't want to just hammer away at turkey 20, 30 yards from you doing that. This is for something you're trying to get a turkey excited several hundred yards off and you're working. I don't, I don't do that. Or you're trying to locate one and right. just suddenly hit hard. But having that little extra thing in your bag and being able to do something that, that they haven't heard before in the area is huge. I, I can't tell you how many birds I've moved three and 400 yards off of that cut right there. But I would never do it close. So what he's doing on that second thumb hole, when he drops his thumb hole, like that, I literally set it between my legs like this, huh? And I'll do that with a bird 30, 40 yards out behind me, like it ain't nothing. And you wouldn't believe how fast that works. Start to look for that. And they'll start doing that little tom putt coming in just like that. So cackling is a great morning sound. Just like this fly down, you finally see him leave the tree. Don't talk to him until he leaves the tree. You might talk to him one time, maybe once. Tree up at him, don't talk to him anymore. Because he's going to wait for you to walk up to him in that tree. If you keep talking to him, he's going to sit right there 90% of the time. So wait till he flies down. You see him flying down, you hear him. Finally, he gobbles, he's on the ground. So cackling is all about hand coordination. And I carry a wing with me. So I usually will take the wing and fly down with it first. I pull it out of my vest and fly down. And then it's all about hand coordination. which is a fly down cap. So it's all about hand coordination and using your thumb in that thumb group. So you want to do one on, with, on your wet box. I love how people keep throwing it by putting more pressure. And one of the things I do is I bring my thumb up and down. If you watch, I'll call some here, some here, some here. Push it in and out. Yeah. And I'm getting the training. Now, cutting is very staccato. It's very up, down, there's no rhythm to it. So it's... And I'm gonna tell you, if you hunt with a buddy that can do that, and the other guy can do a fly down tackle with a hat, that's right, you like that one, I will. I know he's gonna do a wing. <laughs> I'll watch him break that wing out, I'm already setting my thumb up ready for him. And it's just so realistic. If you're 100 yards away and you hear that, you're coming. I mean, it's just obvious. That's what that's for. 1% of the time. <laughs> All right, now, let's talk about hurry. So, so this wood is selected. This is purple heart, and it is selected for its weight. And it, it has the right weight on the lid. So I use my fingers like this. Let's go back up a little bit. You see people trying to do that. That causes you to put pressure. You want the weight of the lid. Let the lid do what it's going to do. See, I went up and down, kind of buried that a little bit. You might start adding pressure to it as you go. That's the way it started out. You can rip it and add pressure. It's not going to stop you from doing it. All of our calls we build are really important. We, 
the biggest thing I want to do, when I start, first started calling, I had Lynch and my granddad and people showed me how to call. It was one of these things you pick up, and maybe you get it right, maybe you don't. And you can make a bad note so easy. So no, he's start. picking the lid up and going, and exaggerating it. That's not the way to do it, simply. We, we wanted to build a call that anybody could use. The box call is the most realistic thing you'll ever hear. We wanted it to be great. Two or three things we did different was the arch, but we also wanted you to be able to call close short. And you know, a lot of old box calls, you had to get way up here and call. Mm -hmm. And you can't call a bird 40 yards in front of you doing that way in your hand. So what we want to do is keep it short. If you listen to this note from here to here, very little movement with your hand. And it's, and it's frame proof. I mean, if you take it out like this and just slide it, now, it's going to make a note. And then just start adding pressure. If, if we give everybody in here a mouth call, slate call, box call, you learn to use slate, you learn to use box, you learn to use your mouth call, you're pretty good at it. Some of you in here are going to excel. And I'm going to tell you why. All these guys who win the Grand Nationals, especially those guys like Paul Butsky over the years, Chris Paris, they're running year in and year out. They got an ear. No different than somebody who can play music, who can play the piano by ear, who gets it. You'll never be able to be as good as me. Now, I want to talk about your ears just for a second. I've lost 52% of my hearing on all high frequencies in my left ear. I'm 66 years old. I've been shooting all my life. When I shot ski competitively when I was a kid, I loved it. Nobody told me that I need to protect my hearing. You go back to my daddy, who was 93 and doing great. He's a World War II vet. He was he was in he was a navigator, so he was not in the field with the big artillery guns. But his buddies that were, they can't if they're living, they can't hear it all. High frequencies will destroy your hearing. Every time you hear ringing in your ears, you have lost some of your nerve permanently. Whether it's hitting a hammer on metal, running a chainsaw, a leaf blower. So protect your ears. Shooting, if you're right-handed, you throw up your rifle, your gun, this arm is low, your left ear is turned looking down the sights, Looking down the barrel, looking at the bird you're going to shoot, whatever, the ears turn. This ear receives more of the blast than the right ear. So it's called shooter's ear. You can look it up. It's a known phenomenon for all of us who shoot. In a setting like this, with nobody else talking, it's quiet, I do real good. If you get me in an audience with everybody talking, a cocktail party or a group talking, I look at my wife Mary and I go, because <laughs> I can't hear. It's, it's horrible. So especially for you young people, please protect your hearing. It's a big deal. So, the reason I tell you all that is, this box call, the box calls we made, they've got it in there. And most box calls that are made well do. You don't have to worry. Your ear may not even hear all of the frequencies that you're producing. But these box calls can do it. That's why, in my opinion, a box call used correctly will call up more turkeys for the average hunter than any other call. We agree. So the box call has got the sound. You might not even hear it, but it's in there. All right, and we'll talk about purring. You can take the call, and some calls purr well, just with the, with the weight of the lid. It's more of a whine. You hear the purr kind of starting to come. So, 
you take the call and you actually use your knuckle of your index finger, put it on the call, you're gripping the spine, which is angled here so you can. And now that you've got some pressure and you're dragging it. <coughs> Beautiful sound. Anthony is the one who taught me how to purr like that. I was dragging, trying to put pressure. Kind of show you something. <laughs> so, thank you. Um, a couple other things on the box. You know, when we're when we're designing boxes, I felt like the box is one of the most deadly weapons in the woods when it comes to calling turkeys. So we spent a lot of time focused on the gear part, the sound part. And that was one thing we talked about the CNC that it's great to have that equipment. We can mass produce, and you won't find any of our boxes. As a matter of fact, this box I picked up off the showroom table that we left with. I think we got it up, and we carried it out. And I brought it up here. It's nothing special than what we do for our friends and run. And like we said, talked earlier, every one of these has a tuner's name on it. That name's there to reassure that it's the best sounding box you get. So if you get one today, you call me up and say this. R.W., which is Roger Wilson, tuned this. Uh, and here's something I'll tell you something cool about Roger in just a second. But if you tell me R.W. tuned it, and it don't sound good, I'm going to go talk to R.W. and we're going to find out why. Because he's supposed to produce the best hits. R.W., Roger Wilson, is not a turkey hunter. Okay. He's never already turkey hunted in his life. I mean, he's killed one turkey in his entire life. But he's a musician in the house. And he plays by ear. And so when we, when we train him, I don't go get a turkey hunter because there's certain turkey hunters that that have one sound, that's what they like, and they tune to that. I can go to Roger and say, I want all these to sound like. He's got it, he's programmed, and he's gonna knock out 300 something a day or better that's gonna be identical. And then he goes through a process of him being tuned, and it comes out of his tuning process into our shop manager. And our shop manager, most of the time, goes through four or five, or he'll spot check them, and then he goes to our floor office where QC sometimes goes through the spot check them. So we work really hard, and that don't mean you get a box call in and it's driving in a package or a Walmart or wherever, and it's sitting there vibrating like that, that the surface hasn't had all the issues with it. Take your little 3M pad, rub it back up. All right, 3M pad. Some people, anybody know what a 3M pad is? If you can't find them easily, just get the ones you wash your dishes with. Real pad. Cut the dead gummy sponge side off, and you've got your 3M pad that'll clean it up. Now, while we're talking about that, your hand is full of oil. That's what leaves your fingerprint. Don't put your hand on the underside of the lid. And don't put your hand on the actual sideboard. If you get oil in there, in those grains, you're going to fill it up. It's going to dull it. You're going to have problems with your call. You want to use chalk that doesn't have wax in it. Correct, Andy? Rosin-based chalk. It's a rosin-based chalk. Primo's got some, we sell it. Come out, I'll try to find some and give you some out of the booth if I've got some extra, and I should. And here's something that I do. Yeah, there's all kind of ways to try to keep your box call out. You got it right here, you wrap a rubber band around it, you put it in, you sit down, and it makes a sound that you didn't want it to. So I'll take a 100% cotton, not one that's had any treatment to it, for not, no iron, stuff like that, and I cover it with chalk. Cover. And then I lay that over my call, and we make these. This is made from an inorganic material. This is not a normal latex rubber band. It won't rot. Now, how many times I wrap my call with a rubber band, and I take them off and they bust. So I've got a supply of rubber bands in my vest. But I love these, because this is made from sand cream, I, I believe. 
And there you go. You can see all the chalk coming off my rag. It, it stays silent, and I take and do this. When I sit down to call, I don't want to leave it or lose it. I put this on my wrist, and I take my rubber band and just put it around there, and that stays right there on top of my glove. And if I have to get up and go, I don't forget it. Another thing, too, to watch on your box calls is bug spray. Especially if it's got DNA. It a lot of oil. Get your gun stocked up, but it's got a heavy amount of oil. And I've actually seen slate calls totally burn. You can't sand the slate deep enough to get the oil out. But usually on the paddle, you can get it out because the chalk helps protect it. But if you ever get that deep on this surface right here, because you have to sand so much of it down, you're going to change the note in it. So just very cautious putting the spray on. We, I, we use farm cells and prime and stuff like that. But I've had a lot of people send me calls that say, hey, fix my call, it's my cherished. I've had it for 20 years. Kill dozens of gobblers, and you'll see all of it so deep you can't fix it. So Y'all, Anthony kind of lives in a bad place. He lives in the inner city. His factories in the inner city. He's all kind of still the country where I'm lying. <laughs> Anthony's wife, City. City, stand up. This, this is the lady who puts up with Anthony over here, y'all. They live in the middle of God's country. He steps out of his house. The shop is above his house on the hill. He decides which turkey to go for. The one in front of the shop or the one behind the house. He got a hard life. <laughs> now, the box call is an instrument. You don't have to use it like we're showing you. My friend Brad Ferris, he used it this way. He actually holds the lid between his hands and works the box. Show him some of that, Anthony. Anthony's full of tricks, y'all. So. He likes the weight of them. I've come accustomed to calling like that. Especially, the reason I do that is because I'm having the double box a lot. Okay. Okay. A double box is one that has side ports on each side. So you can call on either side and it will go. So a lot of times you'll see me calling like this, which is it's really kind of weird calling. It seems uncomfortable. A lot of times I'm, I'm getting ready to go into it. Sound like a Jake. A young high-pitched Jake trying to learn to go. And I'm, I'm not, that's not something I always do. It's something that if I've had a hard time with a bird, I'm going to try something different sometimes. I do. So I call it a lot of weird ways. The biggest thing for me is my cutting. I call to where I can get to a cut real good. And I like to be directional. So if I want to turn it this way. Directional, he's throwing the sign a certain way. Now, you'll notice on all our calls, got a lot of wood back here we could have cut off we could have made some more pieces because we had more billet length to cut call from but this is important this adds weight it helps in holding the call in your hand when you use it the other way every one of the calls is made that way so there's so many little things that all us call makers have learned over the years we just brought them all together with the tall timber now you know this call right here so i, I got guys who want to use anything else they love the wet bottle it's got a great sound. It calls wet. You don't often get it wet, but if you do, it will call. But it just sounds so good. There's a very cool little video on this box right here. If y'all get a chance to go on YouTube, there's this little 12-year-old boy, and he's in a mud hole in the pond, and he reached down and he's talking about three motors, and he pulls it. I just saw it today. He pulls it up, and it's got mud and water dripping off of his collar. 
pre-mode web box. So what it has, this has got a, a coding that Anthony figured out that allows the calls to be totally waterproof. And there you go. That coding, I promise you, I was getting hammered big time by Jimmy. My cousin, somebody called him my brother today. <laughs> my mother was 91. I called her. And she said that insults me. Jimmy was hammering me with a chemical for this to do it, and a lot of people with chalkboard paint on it, and JD Well, and all these things. And I'll promise you, we spent mega money researching and finding the right thing to do this. It's over and over again. You tested it. I think I went to hundreds of them. But that is some of the most durable stuff you want to see. It's, it's a mixture of several things that we mix ourselves. And uh, once it's on there, it stays. It, it lasts. Let's kind of recap a few little things. So when you're buying a box call, and look, shop this place. There's some great, beautiful calls out there. We don't make the only great calls out there. We put a lot into ours, and we trust them. But when you, when you, when you get one, take the call, hold it, don't touch the sideboard, and move it and see where the second note comes from if it's way out here that's all high it needs to be in close and that's one that's one of your tests and then purr with it hold it let it naturally do it zip it purr or wine and then try to put your Wait on it with your index finger and see what the reaction of the call is to you using it. You can turn it around and try to make it cluck. Try to just right across from your feet, put your finger on the side of the, of the uh, lid. Tap it. Find out if this call is sensitive and reacts to your calling. Because there are calls, like Anthony said, that the notes come from way out here. And when we, every once in a while, when we make does that, goes to the reject mark. It's all about the wood and how the wood and grain comes out. The other things too is, you know, real calls go now, this call sound on really had it for four or five years. And what that's coming from, he wants me to make it another one. And I said, give me four or five years. Aging of the wood. And as the wood gets drier, the oils are releasing and the heat and the cycle. So when you keep your boxes, a lot of people, my friends joke with me and said, I keep that my heartbreaker in the gun safe. And they're saying, well, I said, well, honestly, that's a great place to keep it because the dehumidifier in it and it dries the wood out there, but it also makes it crisp. And that's what, if you get, if you pick up a box at the show and you call it and do that and it don't have that real crisp cut, that's coming from oil sleeping through the woods. We we actually would not be able to use this. This is called canary wood on the top. There's a canary. Canary. C A N A R. The notorious releasing oil, and I've always wanted to use it on a box call. I finally got to use it because we use a wet box on here. But I can't use this wood on that call because without this coating on it, it would release holes. So we go a lot of trouble pick woods, not just because it's purple heart for a reason. We're, I think we're the first one to use purple heart. I found the Central American body that had a lot of weight. I picked up the first board and said, that's perfect. But I was trying to get weight on the paddle of the call. So when you're looking at the, the dryness of the wood, the select woods that don't release oils and have oil, our purple part, we select in certain ways because a lot of it has sap in it. It'll release sap. It'll call it. A lot of the mahogany's that have a certain amount of what's, what we like in the woodworking industry have a, a gooey feel or a gummy feel, what we call such so real easy to carve with or move with, but machines do with no roughness and texture. 
but there's a fine line between getting too much of that and being too oily of a wood until it slips. So what we're looking for in a wood, as soon as you hit it, it's really quick. So if you're shopping for a box call, make sure the first note catches. I mean, just real crisp like that. You don't, you don't want slippage. If you feel slippage, a lot of times you're just going to keep re-chopping and re-chopping. Believe it or not, we tune most of our box calls in the plant with no chalk whatsoever. Because if they'll call with no chalk, they'll, they'll call with chalk for sure. And if, it, if you have to have chalk to make a call, you always want to have chalk. The chalk just helps with the moisture when you get outside to absorb that moisture in the condensation. Uh, the last thing I want to do, then we want to have a little time for questions, or y'all can come up one-on-one -on -one if we end, if you have something you want to address with the individual. This screw. It is the biggest part of tuning where the surface of this lid is going to hit the sound board, how much it angles. So you can fool with that. Um, I suggest that if you're going to move it, mark it. So if you start turning it a little bit, and you've got to have an Allen screw to do it with, uh, Allen wrench, uh, you want to be able to go back to that spot. Uh, if you use one a long time, you start seeing this dark spot. That's where it's hitting. This is ideal. But that can help you tune your call. And uh, if you sand it too much, you're going to change so much about this <laughs> sideboard or the lid, underside of the lid. Just get the chalk off and re-chalk it with a rosin-based chalk that does not have wax in it. can have oil. Right. It, I, it, it I know one guy who puts motor oil in his chalk. Um, you just gotta watch what type of oils and stuff. I, I've seen some gun cleaning oils on your shotguns getting on them, so you can run a good box call with the wrong kind of oil on it. Deep ruins more a box and slates than anything. Indeed, I need to finish off, but we have obviously your finishes coming off. It's not us. It's literally, if you touch your click over in your truck and leave it on there, it'll eat it off too. It's, it's just brutal, especially gun stocks. I see a lot of them forearms are eat up from even your synthetics. They'll eat the camouflage off of it. And if any of you use uh, one shotgun shell, one shotgun, one bullet for your first shot, and another load for your second shot, Pete takes all the numbers off. Use one. And if you have to carry a uh, couple shotgun shells for a uh, week, two weeks or more, like I do sometimes, ain't nothing with that. <laughs> any, any, any questions y'all want to ask as a group? Yes, sir. Okay, I hope that you guys enjoyed the seminar and picked up a thing or two about box calls. I think their advice on what to listen for when you're playing a box call before you buy it was great advice. So hopefully that helped you guys a little bit. So that's all that I've got for you, but I've got my favor of the week to ask. And the favor of the week this week is to please like and share the post for this week's episode of the Turkey Hunter podcast on social media. That's a huge help for the show. It's greatly appreciated. And I'm going to say now, thank you guys so much for tuning in this week. I know that you have choices. I appreciate you spending your time with us. I hope you have a wonderful week and I look forward to seeing you again next week. Goodbye. Thanks for tuning in. You were just listening to the Turkey Hunter podcast. If you enjoyed the show, please go on over to iTunes and leave a five-star review. And make sure to head over to www.iamturkeyhunting.com to subscribe for free turkey hunting tips, tactics, strategies, and product reviews to help you have a more successful turkey season. And stay tuned for upcoming episodes on hunting afternoon birds, 
how to film your hunt, and the breeding cycle of hens, as well as some guest interviews. Thanks again for listening. We know your time is valuable, and we appreciate you sharing some of it with us. See you next week.